I think that as commercial as sync and everything has gotten, you know, we've always seen the pendulum swing go really far and really wide and then come back again. So you, you know, I think, I think music will be important again and it will be a driving force in the culture, but we've got to keep making it. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, hey, my name is Bree Noble, and you are listening to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. And happy 2018. This is our first show of 2018, and I am just excited to be with you today and sharing this interview that I recorded just a little bit ago with my friend, Rhea Stevens. I think you're going to learn so much from her. I think it's really cool to see an independent artist like Rhea making a living from music and doing this her entire life since she was like a teenager. She knew that music was her focus, it was her passion, and she made it happen. And I think you guys will really be inspired by this story and hopefully see a little bit of yourself in her journey and know that you are not alone in having this deep passion that drives you to do music. So here's a little bit of information about Rhea Stevens. Rhea Stevens grew up surrounded by the music industry. Her father toured with famous artists and, among other things, was an arranger for Disney's Mickey Mouse Club in the late 70s. Rhea always knew she wanted to be a professional musician and has been doing it as an independent artist for 17 years. She's a successful session and live singer and independent songwriter, but the most important thing to her is maintaining her integrity and sharpening her toolkit. Rhea truly believes that this is the absolute best time to be an independent female musician. So here's my inspiring interview with Rhea Stevens. So that's a little bit about Rhea Stevens. So Rhea, is there anything that you want to tell our listeners about you that's maybe a little bit... Uh, unique or interesting, quirky, more personal that's not in your bio? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I suppose, you know, just on a personal level, I, I love animals. I love nature and all things meaningful. And I guess where I, where I am right now was that a career in music, I feel like can be all consuming uh, especially as an independent artist, and it's really easy to feel overwhelmed. So I think it's important to, you know, to live as a whole person and devote quality time to things that inspire and re-energize you because you need that soil to make music that will inspire, re-energize, and move other people. And anyway, I do realize that I just sounded like somebody's mother, but, you know... <laughs> I say it just as much for myself, you know, I need a mom too. So, so yeah, um, I, I want to say that for the listeners because I, I think independent artists, you know, you just, you're wearing so many hats um, that it's, 
it's challenging to, to find a balance. So, uh, so yeah, you know, it's life is not all about career. You gotta, you gotta fit in the the other stuff too. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, even on, you know, a small part of your career that like the songwriting part or the, the performing part, like you need space to be inspired, like you said. And if we're just packing our day so busy, then we can't, even notice things that should inspire us into writing about them. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's, <clears throat> it's kind of like, you know, you've got this kind of soul bank account and you've, you know, you've got to invest in that as well. Uh, so that you've got something to excavate because when you, you know, when you're going to write, you're ex you're excavating your mind really. Mm. So, and if all you're putting in is, is business and paperwork and you know, all this stuff, there's nothing there when you need the, you know, when you need to, to write music that, that moves people. Yeah, that's so true. And I'm, I'm not necessarily the best person of keeping that balance, but I know it's, I know I need to do it. And I kind of build in, I think that becomes my exercise time because I live in the woods. So, you know, I go out and I walk for an hour and that's kind of when get that space and I, I have to build it into my day because I know that that space won't happen naturally. <laughs> yeah, I know. You know? But, but isn't that true? It's like there's something about walking. There's something mm. about walking and being in nature that it's always been that way. You know, it's like, I think you get the energy moving and you just, I think it's such a body, mind, soul connection, but I, I'm the same way. I will get out in nature and walk and the idea is, come where they just, if I'm just kind of stuck in the house or, you know, behind my desk doing a bunch of, you know, music oriented stuff that's not really, uh, you know, uh, creative. It just, it doesn't seem to come. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I basically walking and the shower or bath are the places I've been the most inspired to write things. Interesting. Sometimes I like just build in a 30 minute bath into yeah. my day and I just lay there, you know, and it just allows me to open up to that. So yeah, it's, it's something we all have to, to try to, to work in somehow. So yeah. how did you get started in music? Uh, well, it started a long time ago. I, I just kind of came out this way, I guess. I mean, as a kid, the story goes that I sang before I could talk and, you know, I, my parents kind of thought I was a little OCD. <laughs> I would listen to this particular album as a toddler. It was a kid's album by an artist named Lori Lozak. And the album was called I Love Life. And it, you know, it had songs that were called like peanut butter and a tree, a tree, a tree, a tree. <laughs> anyway, apparently I drove the family mad by playing the entire album every morning two or three times in a row, singing along to it and, you know, studying the songs, learning the songs. I was so fascinated. And, you know, anyway, we, we had a garage that was converted into a recording studio because my, my dad is a professional musician. And, uh, you know, of course, it didn't mean anything to me as a kid, but he was an arranger and composer for the Mickey Mouse Club back when it was the Facts of Life cast. Oh, my gosh. I know. Wow. I know. I mean, you know, I mean, and as a kid, I didn't, you know, I didn't understand any of that, but 
Noni B played keyboards for Diana Ross and Bobby Caldwell and Bill, Bill Medley. Um, and I'd hear all the rehearsals and the recording sessions. And I just remember feeling like I wanted to be singing and writing songs with everybody in the studio. So I would crash the studio and I would try to show all of these poor people in the band my, my songs. <laughs> and my mother would drag me out of there kicking and screaming. I was just so passionate about my art and it just, it carried on that way. I mean, I was the strange kid who was walking around the field at lunch and recess by myself, writing songs, singing and arranging. And then I'd come home and record for hours and hours and hours and so did you get access to that recording studio to record your own stuff well yeah I recorded over a lot of rehearsals and a lot of different things I mean I was I was eventually set up with my own little setup in my room because mm-hmm. I'd mess up my dad's rig all the oh, time yeah totally like <laughs> don't touch the buttons exactly. I have certain settings yeah but they all light up you know, what else are you supposed to do? So anyway, yeah. And eventually it just led to performing, you know, regularly and professionally and at jazz festivals and nightclubs and bars and coffee houses and house parties. And, um, you know, before I knew it, it was, it was a professional, uh, thing, you know? Wow. So did you know that you wanted to do that? Like even in high school, did you decide to go straight into performing or did you go the college route and then still end up performing? Uh, well, I always knew that this is what I wanted to do. I mean, it was just something that I always did in whatever spare time I had. Mm. Uh, That's how you, that is how, you know, I, I truly <laughs> believe that. Like if, if you had only one hour a day of spare time, what would you do with that? Right. You yeah. Know. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, yeah. I just, I mean, I remember doing a lot of, I just was so moved by the artists that I was into and I was so, um, I, I just, it was like songwriting was such a deep, deep, deep well of, wow, that, how did, you know, that's, I can do that. I can do that. You know, and it, it took years before I started writing songs that I was proud of, but I enjoyed the process even, uh, you know, in the, the steep learning curve years, yeah, I was just compelled by it. Just mm. so, um, so yeah, I did go to college. I went to, um, uh, a community college and then I came down to Los Angeles and went to the musicians Institute um, but yeah, I started off as an English lit major and it didn't take long to just feel like, gosh, you know what? I'm just, I'm not, there's no way that I'm not going to take music all the way. I, I've just got to, if I'm going to spend money on an education, I've got to go to music school. So then um, yeah, I'm a bit of a book nerd. So I love to read and I loved studying Chaucer and Shakespeare and all of that for a while. But oh, but so great for songwriting though. <laughs> You know, yeah, yeah, you know, everything becomes when you when you learn about, um, yeah, it's just so. I mean, everything becomes three D because everything is symbolic Mm -hmm. in literature, and so that changes your brain creatively. I mean, you you really you read things differently, you listen to people and conversations. 
differently. It's all very psychological. And, and uh, yeah, my favorite writers are, are deep writers that way. So mm. I think it did help. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I definitely. Um, my husband's a literature professor. So I, oh, I, I can see that, you know, that uh, we have conversations about lyrics and stuff like that. Because it's so so well related to poetry and, you know, the things that he studies. Oh my gosh. You must have the most fascinating conversations. <laughs> I want to be a fly on the wall at we, your house. We used to until we had two kids that don't let us <laughs> get a word in edgewise. <laughs> oh my gosh. That reminds me of that Bill Cosby. Uh, oh gosh, it was an old routine that he had where he was saying, you know, I, I think I used to be smart, but I haven't heard myself finish a thought since oh, I yep. That's about right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. So at this point, um, are you a full-time working musician? Or are you kind of doing that on the side with other things? Or do you have like other music-related jobs like teaching and stuff like that that you make up your income with? I'm a full-time musician. Um, Yes, I don't have any income streams that are non-music related, but I do teach music lessons. Um, and uh, I've got some fantastic students. Um, but yeah, everything is, everything is music. Everything is basically from music. A lot of live performing and, uh, you know, and of course the income streams from um, publishing and, and writers and sync fees and things like that. So. Yeah, so let's talk about that. Uh, what I always like to ask people on the show, since it is like the entrepreneur musician, I just want to kind of get an idea of like percentage wise, your income is it, you know, how much is from live shows, from like selling merch and CDs, online downloads, um, you know, maybe yeah. uh, licensing, all that stuff. Like you don't have to be like exactly accurate, but just kind of a general idea. Well, it depends on what season I'm in. Mm, good and, point. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's mostly from live uh, performance. Uh, that's, you know, that's kind of a, a, a steady thing uh, for me. And then other times, you know, it's like I've got a few songs in my catalog that seem to do really well. Um, and sometimes it's it's like they're you know, they're getting licensed frequently. And then other times there's a dry spell, you know, whatever I've missed no. out on what's popular. And, <laughs> and I'm releasing a bunch of stuff that I really believe in, but that's just not working in sync. And um, so sometimes that is, you know, very small and sometimes that's larger, but it just ebbs and flows. So, I mean, I guess the good part about it is that it keeps, um, <clears throat> you know, it keeps your chops up to, I think if you, you know, if you're recording and stuff, you, you should be performing, uh, so you can get a read from what people are liking and what people are moved by. Uh, yeah, I think that's so true. Sometimes if we like just focus on online, you know, then we're kind of in this void where we don't have any feedback. A little bit. And I think that it's easy to forget. I, you know, i my personal feeling is I feel like you know, in, in some ways, music has been a little bit displaced. You know, I mean, you you know the state of the music industry, but um, you know, music is important. It's even if it's not given the value monetarily, or you know, 
fanfare wise, it's important as a, as a, as an energy source in the world. Mm. And, you know, sometimes I'll do a show and I have fans that from 10 years ago, just still, you know, they contact me about a song that I didn't even record that I sang at a show 10 years ago. And they say, I just want to hear that song again. I just want to, you know, that song helps me so much because mm. you know, one time I had the, and that's what we do it for. I mean, I think, you know, of course, you know, as, as an artist, you want to make a living doing what you're doing, but the, the pure altruism of making music, you know, we all started, I think, deep down, not because we, you know, we wanted to make a million dollars. I don't think anybody would stay in it because there's far easier ways to make a million dollars, you know? Uh, I think it's because you want to connect and you, you want to move people. So if you're making, I mean, for me anyway, and I'll just speak for myself, I think if you're making music that's maybe doing really great in sync, but it's, you're not really moving anybody with it because it's way back there in the background or nobody's really hearing it, or it's just kind of functional music. Um, I don't know. I think you've kind of missed the point. I mean, you're paying some bills, Mm -hmm. but I think that, uh, you know, the world needs artists, you know, artists that, you know, kind of create a space that's, you know, that's worthy of somebody's, you know, time and energy in their day improves their day. So that's really what I'm into, you know, and I guess maybe it sounds a little bit, you know, flowery or whatever, but I just feel like if I continue doing that, uh, along with the education that I have on, you know, everything that works in sync and all of that kind of stuff that I'll feel just, um, you know, at peace with my journey. You know, yeah. I- yeah. I agree. I mean, I, it's true. Sometimes we can get caught up in writing for sync and yeah. to make it so commercial and then we're not connecting with our own music. Or yourself, you know, and and the thing is, is that over time, I mean, you kind of become what you do, you know, it's like if you're, you know, if you spend, you know, three years, uh, kind of on a, on a sidestep, um, you know, in anything it's, it's, it can be a little bit tough to get back on track. So, you know, I guess I want to say that just, oh my gosh, just keep the heart, keep the heart in it, keep the soul in it. Talk about things that matter in music because I think that as commercial as sync and everything has gotten, you know, we've always seen the pendulum swing go really far and really wide and then come back again. So, you, you know, I think, I think music will be, important again, and it will be a driving force in the culture, but we've got to keep making it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's so true. Yeah. What are your favorite kinds of places to perform? And, you know, like maybe what's your favorite place in the LA area? And then just in general, like what are your favorite kind of venues to perform in? And do you actually book them yourself or do you have somebody help you? Uh, Well, I usually book you know, shows for myself, uh, it's an artist. I mean, I, I work with an agency that books me for a lot of other gigs, like private parties and stuff like that. And that's fantastic. But I really love doing, um, 
small theaters, I think there's an intimacy. I like to talk about, I like to talk about the songs. I, I kind of feel like, uh, you know, the heart of any live performance comes from the rapport mm-hmm. with, with the audience. And there's something about small theaters and smaller rooms with a, with a real piano and stuff that really supports that well. Um, you know, I mean, nightclubs where there's a lot of talking and, you know, stuff like that, that's a little bit, it can be awfully deflating. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Nobody wants to be background music. No, no. So, uh, so yeah, I like, you know, believe it or not, I love the sound system at Genghis Cohen. Oh. Really, I love that sound system there. I just, I always feel like it just, is, you know, they redid it not too long ago and it just, it sounds great there. Um, mm. But it's, you know, it's obviously very small there. Uh, let's see where else. I mean, I performed at a lot of the, the great hotels and dinner rooms and all that kind of stuff around LA. Mm. Um, but, you know, I guess one of my favorite places to perform was the Crest Theater in the Sacramento area. Oh, I've never been there. Oh my gosh. It's like heaven. The Crest wow. Theater was fantastic. Um, yeah, any place that's kind of theatery and... Um, yeah, we have one in Fresno. You can come. The Tower Theater. It's, oh, yeah. I actually, I saw the Waylon Jennings there and it was awesome. I think Did it you? Probably, I think it probably has, maybe it's like two to 300. That's great. Yeah, it's a great size. That's great. Yeah, I really love those. Don't you? Have you ever mm-hmm. played in the small theaters? I'm trying to think. I don't know that I have, but I love the experience as an audience member. I know. See, I'm always entertained by the audience. I feel like when I'm, when I'm performing and singing, I'm like the audience is entertaining me in a way. <laughs> and I really like the, uh, I don't know, just I like that they're in the, the comfy seats and that it's comfy and... I like that. Yeah, it's it's very inviting. So out of all the, you know, experiences you've had over the years, is there anything that really jumps out that's like mind-blowing to you? Like I can't even believe this happened to me. Like pinch me, can this possibly be me that this is happening to? Yes. <sighs> yes, and it's something that I carry with me all the time. Um I must have been about 23 years old. I was making my first EP and uh, Steve Tyrell, who's a fabulous jazz artist. And I don't know if you've ever seen like Father the Bride and Mm -hmm. yeah, that's, he kind of is the soundtrack for that. But Mm. anyway, he was so generous, um, really kind. And he uh, let me record uh, my first EP at his studio free of charge. He oh, knew wow. that I was a broke <laughs> college student. So his only request was that I tune the piano before every step, every session. Um, so, you know, I'd pay $80 and have the piano tuned and, you know, go record on the wee hours. I mean, sometime we'd go, we'd go in at like one in the morning and be out at five. But anyway, Steve, was uh, recording a song with Burt Bacharach mm-hmm. in the studio. And <clears throat> it was for the Stuart Little soundtrack, uh, Walking, uh, it, the song was called Walking Tall and it was for the Stuart Little soundtrack. And I was slated to record when they were finished. 
But Steve and his engineer, Woody Woodruff, called up and said, hey, do you want to sneak in here and just kind of see how this goes? It might be, you know, it might be really cool for you to see this. And of course, I mean, I, was, <laughs> I, mean, I was such a carpenter's fan growing up. And I just, of course, I knew who Burt Backrack was. And I was just trying to, you know, play it cool. And I remember sitting there and listening to them record this song. And I just was, I, I, my energy must have been felt because I was sitting there listening. He's such a brilliant writer. And I was thinking, I have such a long way to go. Mm. I have a long way to go. And Woody, the engineer, um, put on one of the tracks from my EP and played it for Bert. And I, you know, Bert could just tell I was just cringing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, was just, I just wanted to crawl under the desk or something like that. I mean, it's not that the song was terrible. It's just that here he was, you know, a writer that I admired so much. And anyway, before he left the studio, Bert kind of pulled me aside and he said, listen, just find a three note motif, just three notes and marry it with the right lyric. Just three notes though. And he said, mm. just, and then you'll write your hit. And he left mm-hmm. and all of a sudden in my head, all I, could, all I could hear was just, why do birds? Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I never forgot that. And I applied it ever since. I just, um, yeah, I, that was uh, definitely like a divine intervention. Wow, that's really, really cool. I know, right? I just, I just thought, oh my gosh, why weren't you here a year ago when I started writing this record? <laughs> no. You're like, I've already recorded this now. Now I want to scrap it and start all over. I know. I know exactly. Well, I was in music school and, you know, I was, you know, I was going to school with a bunch of, you know, really great musicians and had these incredible teachers and, um, you know, there was a lot of fusion playing in the school. I just, it was a little busy. I was a little bit busy with the melodies and I was experimenting musically and kind of, you know, it was a little bit derivative of my, my pop soul kind of roots. But yeah, so, so Burt Bacharach, pulled everything into focus for me for the next 10 years. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really helpful because I know when I was in school, like when you're having to study music theory and you're analyzing all this stuff and melodies and you want to try to use everything in every song. You know, you know what I mean? Oh, like, I know. Try to overcomplicate things and just going back to that simplicity of how he was successful. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's something about, I think when you're, when you're really studying, you're kind of trying to impress other musicians. Yeah. Uh, and that can be dangerous. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> as much as I, I do love jazz and I do, I appreciate all of it. I love Latin music. I love fusion. I love all of that stuff. Um, and I love improv. So I get it, but I'm a, I'm a pop, I'm a pop person. But it's kind of like when R and B artists like just, like put in so many runs because they're just trying to prove that they're better than the next R&B artist or something. You know what I mean? You know how that happens. I was watching The Voice the other day and I'm like, oh my gosh, this whole song is one long run. Like simplify. I can't even hear the melody anymore. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's something about it um, that, I mean, as a singer, it's, I mean, I have so many friends who can 
sings circles around me. Mm. I've been on all of those, but you can kind of, yeah, you can kind of miss the point a little bit. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, but Hey, if you've got the gift, you know, then, then absolutely flaunt it. You oh, know? totally but, use it. Yeah. Yeah. Use it. And it's, you know, there's just something about singing. I mean, that's just, you just kind of, when you're playing with your voice and you're finding these different tones and you're finding these different things, it is so much fun to play. It's, it's like, it's like playtime. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you don't forget about the story that you're singing. Think about the words as you're singing because you will sing it differently. Um, and if you're just thinking about singing, then you, probably the song won't, might not connect in the same way as if you're thinking about the story. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree with that. So let me ask you, you know, you've been doing this for quite a while. Obviously when you first started, there was no social media and all that stuff. How how did you, you know, move from like the way you engaged with fans originally to now? Like how did you incorporate social media and how, how do you like to engage with fans online and offline? Oh, uh, well, I still love performing live. I think it's the, uh, I think that it's the most, um, you know, the deepest way to connect. I would say that the, the fans that I have that I've had for a long time are from fans that I've met at live shows and who, you, you know, remember this show or remember that show. <clears throat> but I have an email list. So I send thoughtful musings and updates and, and music. You know, it's pretty personal. I mean, the stuff that I share, I think, is, uh, um, you know, it's very thoughtful. And I think that my fans appreciate that. Um, online, though, I got to say, I feel like it's a, it's a daily thing that I, I kind of have to work at. But I guess being real, speaking from the heart, is the most effective thing for me. Uh, if I overthink a post, it sounds too gimmicky. Mm-hmm which is a total cringe factor. Um, (laughs) It's just like, sometimes I look back and I go, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? Um, I think I'm learning that inspiring with substance. You know, if you post something inspiring, have something to support it, like a story, an example. And I think for me, what works for me is having depth to support inspirational, encouraging phrases or sayings or photos, but, you know, being brave enough to really stick my neck out and get personal, because I think that's what opens up the hearts of other people. So some days I do a good job and others, I, I fail miserably, you know, depends on <laughs> how well I've slept and what time of the month it is and all that. Oh yeah. Have you done any live streaming? I have not done that yet, but I am planning to, um, actually in a couple of weeks. So that's going to be, uh, interesting. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fun, but yeah, it's a little bit, Oh, it's just, you know, I, I'm just a little intimidating. So is it just going to be like you are live streaming from a show or are you going to, you know, come on and tell a story and sing a song or something like that? I think that I am going to uh, sing a couple of Christmas songs that, mm. uh, I've written. I'm in the middle of making a Christmas album right now. Mm. And 
So, uh, yeah, my collaborator and I, John Kubis, are going to do a live stream and showcase a few of those songs and maybe take some requests. So, so that's going to be fun. And I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I I think it's a good thing. That's very cool. So are you going to be able to release that song in 2017? I mean, that album, the Christmas Uh, Probably not in 2017, but I am definitely releasing one single, uh, if not one, then two. Uh, before the end of the year and Mm. then we'll release the rest of it uh in in 2018 cool yeah well let's talk about the single that you just released um that you're going to be gathering money for charity for the next year so i want to know what what made you decide to do that and why this charity oh well okay um i'm so glad you asked because honestly releasing a song for a good cause. I mean, I was excited about it before I did it, but as I started it, it's just like, it's just, it's ripping me out of bed every morning. I mean, it's it's really, really wonderful. Um, I'm so excited about it. The new single is called Abracadabra. And obviously it's a song about magic. And I wrote it with my dear friend, John Kubis, who some of you may know, may have seen on Dancing with the Stars. He's fantastic. He does the orchestrations for the show and plays keys in the house band. Anyway, the song was inspired by the concept behind a Disney film called Magic Camp that's supposed to be in theaters in 2018. And yeah, and you know, John and I just kind of got on this magic jag after hearing about the film and you know how it gets when you're co-writing. You just, you know, conversations lead. You think you're going to be doing this one day, but you end up doing something else sometimes. Right. There's got to be some of that scattered creativity in there once in a while for, you know, the purpose of spontaneity and keeping things fresh. And anyway, we just were talking about how awesome it would be to go to Magic Camp and <laughs> learn how to own supernatural powers. I mean, who wouldn't want to do that? Who, who wouldn't want to do that? I mean, if... I know my kids would. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, we just kind of got on this magic jag. And a few days later, after we had mused on the subject, it kind of, and, you know, it got my wheels turning enough. I sat down and started writing the song. And it just seemed like it belonged to kids. It just, mm. it belongs to kids. So, and I don't know, I think somewhere in there is this, you know, my my mom and my sister both work in the medical profession and I've known about Make-A-Wish for years through proximity to the medical community and Halloween was coming up and I just, you know, creatively just thought, oh my gosh, I thought it would be fantastic to release the song within the Halloween season for kids, benefiting kids. So it was, you know, it was just an inspired decision. And I suppose I feel like, you know, because I feel like music has been a little displaced, I needed to give it a deeper purpose for myself. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, and it was great. I mean, in talking to Make-A-Wish on a weekly basis, I mean, it's just, they're fantastic. I mean, it's just been one of the sweetest experiences. And uh, yeah, creating all the content for that has been really cool. And, and seeing people donate, you know, so generously and, you know, being able to 
send that money to them and, and know that it's making a difference has been, it's awesome. That is awesome. Ugh. Very so cool. cool. Very cool. Well, it has been so great to talk with you today. And I think you've really lent a lot of insights from her, from all of your years of performing and, um, you know, just being a creative person. So can you let our listeners how they can let them know how they can find you online? Yeah, absolutely. You can email me at mail at friendsofrea.com. And uh, my name is spelled R. E H is in Henry Y A. So that's mail at friendsofrea.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and on my website at www.reastevens.com. And um, yeah, thank you, Bree. Thank you so much for having me. This has just been such a pleasure. Oh, you are welcome. I mean, we've like kind of known each other yeah. on the fringe for quite a while now, and I'm <laughs> glad we finally got to talk. Me too. It's fantastic. And I love that you, you're a nature lover and write songs on long walks too. I thought mm. I was the only oddball. Oh no. Lots of oddballs <laughs> in the music world, right? I, <laughs> yeah, we're all right at home. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com with editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.